This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Telling you a little bit about my family. Have we got those? Um, got those photos? Um, uh, here, here's my. Here is some of my family without my without our heads. Um, <laughs> so many of you will be familiar with um, with my ever so happy youngest daughter, Emily, <laughs> and and our and our eldest daughter, Eva, and my very very beautiful wife, Jenny who has just stepped in to uh, do youth with Paul this morning. And, um, and then there's my mum and, and my dad, Steve. Um, and all of these people um, I'm very grateful for, uh, for, the, for the family that, that God has, has put me in. Um, just to widen out the family tree a little bit more um, uh, is, is my sister. Can we go on to the next um, Photo, please. And um, me and my sister get on pretty well. Um, uh, except for this one time when I was about five. And um, in fact, it was my fifth birthday. I'd been five for about four minutes or something like that. And uh, I was right in the middle of the party. And she goes and decides to be born, uh, which kind of stole the show um, a little bit. And um, on the whole, we get on pretty well, but uh, we, uh, we, get on ama- we get on amazingly. Um, uh, so this is Belle. Uh, I've shown a photo of her very early in the morning uh, because uh, otherwise you'd think that uh, she was the prettier one. Um, Basically, our, our rivalry um, pretty much, ever since my fifth birthday, we have shared a birthday. Uh, so this is us at New Day last year. And, um, and ever since then, our rivalry, if any, has uh, basically come down to how many birthday wishes uh, each one can get on Facebook each year. We kind of have a, we count them up at the end of the, uh, at the end of our birthday. Who wins? And for the last last year, for the first time ever, Belle won. She got more birthday wishes than me. So I'm asking. This is a plea. <coughs> this year in August, when it comes to our birthday, uh, if you wouldn't mind sending me a birthday wish on Facebook, that would be fantastic. If you happen to know her, just I'll pass on your greetings to her, okay? And that'll, that, what that will help do is just restore my position as the dominant older brother, the more favoured, more popular, stronger older brother. So um, that, we don't have to have that picture up anymore, thank you very much. Um, so if, if sibling rivalries come down to who can get the most birthday wishes, you're probably doing pretty well. In, in Bible times, being the firstborn was a pretty big deal. And I want to tell you about, um, about two people who also shared a birthday. Um, 
the firstborn amongst them was going to get a double portion of the inheritance. The firstborn among them was going to get a blessing that was really, really significant, and a whole bunch of a whole bunch of other blessings that would be bestowed upon them. So these these two people are twins. They're called Esau and Jacob. And their mom's called Rebecca. Their dad's called Isaac. Their granddad is called Abraham. And God made a really big promise with Abraham um, that about his descendants and the blessing they would live under. In fact, that all nations in on the world would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. So, so it was a pretty serious promise that the Lord made with Abraham. And whoever was going to get the blessing of the firstborn between Esau and Jacob was, was going to receive a very, very important promise and blessing upon their lives. So um, let's, let's have a read of it. If, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you want to turn to Genesis and chapter 25 and verse 24. And if, if you haven't, I'll just read it clearly for you. So it's Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. When the time came for her, that's Rebecca, their mum, to give birth, there were, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac, their dad, was about 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. So Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau because Esau went out into the open country. Um, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was called Edom, which I think means red. Um, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. This is the, the, the right to have the blessing I was talking about earlier. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore him an oath, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. You can imagine this scenario when in walks Esau after a hard day's hunting, patronising his little brother by four minutes, or however many, however many minutes it was that Jacob was born after him. He comes in and he's like, oh, has someone been cooking for their big brother while he's been out doing a proper day's work hunting? Quick, give me some food on my plate. I'm really hungry. Give me some of, give me some of that. You what? Birthright? Birthright, schmirthright, whatever. I'm about to die if you don't give me some food. Hurry up, give it to me now. Quickly, I need that food. Esau gave up something that he couldn't quite touch, that wasn't easily tangible, that it, he didn't fully have possession of. Something that was later he gave up 
for a bowl full of lentils in his face right now. That's, that's what he gave up his birthright for. He prioritised serving his stomach over his position. He gave up his position and his identity as firstborn. Let me tell you about two other people that also had um, an abundance of blessing. It's in the same book in the Bible. There's, they're called Adam and Eve. They're, they're in the Garden of Eden. They have the privilege of living in a garden with an abundance of food, with the maker of heaven and earth regularly with them. And they give up the blessing and the position that they have in this wonderful place for the sake of tasting the one fruit that they weren't allowed to eat. For the sake of that one fruit that looked so good and became, and actually was, was nowhere near all it, as good as, it, as they thought it was going to be, they gave up their position and were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And, and that's what we call the fall. That's, what, that's where we see the, that was the, the first, they were the first, that was the first thing that, got, that had gone wrong in creation. They gave up something, they, they gave up their position and their blessing of, and their, of now and for the future for serving their stomachs and something that they would just get to taste for a moment. This morning we're talking about fasting. And fasting is when you give up food for spiritual reasons. So that might be for prayer, for asking for, for something particularly. It might be around repentance. It might be for seeking guidance. It might be in your worship. What I'm not going to add to that list is dieting. There's a clear distinction there, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on. And we started off with two stories in which people chose to eat instead of living and celebrating the blessing in which they, uh, the blessing in which had been given to them, sacrificing the unseen and the less tangible in favour of satisfying themselves in the moment. You could be forgiven if you expect me now to then go on to say, well, actually, eating is wrong and it's evil and it's of the devil and it's ungodly. But I'm not going to say that because it isn't true. See, all over the Bible we see people fasting. But we also read about them sharing meals together. We also read about them... uh, Uh, having a good time and celebrating God's provision of food. And one of the main culprits for sharing food is Jesus. If If we look at his life, when thousands of people gather together to hear him speak and and the disciples realised that the catering options that they'd got in for for that impromptu talk had fallen a little bit short and and they say to Jesus, look, there's 5,000 men here who are, who are all hungry and there's, and there's more women and children as well. Jesus didn't say, well, 
just tell them it's a teaching and fasting conference. He said, no, we'll get the little that we have together and, and I will provide, the Lord will provide out of the little that they had. When he was first meeting Peter, he gave Peter a catch of fish so big that it started to sink the boats that they were in. He allowed a wedding party to continue by turning jars of plain water into the most exquisite wine. When he had some difficult news to share with his disciples about his impending arrest and execution, what did he do? He gathered them together for a meal. In fact, it was in that very meal that he said, look, I give you this meal to, rem- to remember me by. Remember me in the ordinary. Remember me in the everyday stuff of life, like eating and drinking. When he met his disciples after his death and resurrection, they'd gone back to fishing. He gave them another miraculous catch of fish and then invited them to join him for breakfast on the beach. If you asked Jesus how he chose to do his ministry, having a meal, grabbing a bite to eat with somebody would have been in his top five. Surely. He was always eating with people. In fact, so much so that when he was sat down eating with a bunch of tax collectors and, and what the Bible calls sinners, the teachers and lawyers of, of the Bible came up to him and said, uh, Jesus, um, our disciples and, and even John's disciples for that matter, they do regularly fast and pray. How come you why is it that yours don't? And he said to them, Jesus answers, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and in those days they will fast. So by saying that they, his disciples and us, will fast, he's not saying that they'd be doing something that he hadn't already done. Just because the Pharisees, just because the teachers of the law hadn't seen Jesus regularly fasting, doesn't mean that he didn't do it. He set a massive example in this. After his baptism, when the Spirit lands on Jesus and a voice from heaven declares, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That voice was pretty much saying, Listen up, world. This is my son. If you want to know what I'm like as God, check this guy out. He is my son. If you want to do business with me, you go through him. Because everything that he does is what I would do. That's what the voice of heaven was basically saying. It was a declaration of this is my son and this is, my, this is me on earth. And so you'd think, well, that's a pretty good commissioning. Go straight into, straight into public ministry right there. But no, the Spirit led him, into the, led him into the desert for 40 days and nights, where he fasts for 40 days and nights. Cue the 
biggest understatement in my translation of the Bible that at the end of that, he was hungry. It's kind of a little bit different to what we hear from Esau, who the, the, the firstborn of Isaac was famished and about to die if he doesn't get some food after a, after a day's hunting. Whereas the firstborn over all creation, after fasting for 40 days and nights, was hungry. Big understatement. But that's how Jesus kind of dealt with it. He was fasting in the desert and being tempted by the devil. If you want to read about that, you can read it in in, uh, Matthew 4. The fasting and the saying no to the devil go hand in hand. See, this is one of the benefits of fasting. This is one of the reasons why it's good. That as a discipline, if you say no to food, which is something that you encounter on a daily basis, something you desire on a daily basis, you train yourself to endure. You train yourself to endure hardship. You can train yourself to refrain from sinning, from other things that you may need to say no to. If you can train yourself in small things and everyday things, actually battles later on become, become easier. So fasting can make you a more disciplined, tougher, more resolved Christian. It is true. But that isn't the half of it. I don't want you to think actually this is just an exercise in self-discipline because it is so much more. So much more. So what, ha- what else happens when you choose to fast? Well, at the most basic level, if you are choosing to fast, you have more time to pray. Praying and fasting go hand in hand. The time that you would spend eating and preparing food, unless you're unfortunate enough to be making your kids sandwiches whilst you're fasting, is... is you can spend time praying during, during that time. So it frees up a whole load of time that you, would, that you would normally spend just around food. Now, for me, that makes, a, that makes a very, very big deal. The amount of time I spend eating and preparing food during a day, on a normal day, is more than the amount of time I would spend in, in dedicated prayer. Sorry if that's a surprise to some of you but I expect that's the same for most of us. And so, as we, as we give up food and time preparing food, actually, it just gives us more time to pray. Now, if you're fasting breakfast, that doesn't give you more time to stay in bed in the morning. And if you're fasting lunch, it doesn't give you an excuse to work through your lunch. In, in fact, actually, more more than um, than when I'm not fasting, my my lunch break, my break in the middle of the day, goes into my diary to say I must stop in the middle of the day. That is a priority. I'm having I'm I'm having a, a, a prayer date. Uh, it's actually booked in, and I'm and I'm off to pray in the middle of the day if I'm fasting. If you're, if you're fasting dinner, that doesn't give you an excuse to 
to work late or to come home and, and slump in front of the TV. Fasting doesn't give you extra time for these things. It's about giving you time to pray. And that's important, not just because it gives you more time to, to pray and, and request and more time to, to persevere in prayer, but because we read that Jesus says that he just did what he saw the Father doing. He was always withdrawing to spend time with his Father. He came back doing God's will in power and authority. So spending time with with the Lord, spending more time with him, just opens you up to be changed by him, to be led in his everlasting ways. And if you're fasting, you're already submitting your will to his. You're already making yourself more malleable to him so that what, what you long for and what you ask for is going to be in his, is even more likely to be in his will. You see, there's a, there's sometimes we have an idea about fasting that actually, well, if you want to, if you want a, an answer to prayer, you better fast because actually God will really hear you then. And it isn't a kind of, it isn't like a priority ticket to the throne room of prayer. It isn't like, well, if I, if I, if I fast, God will definitely hear me because of this. Fasting is a good discipline because it brings you closer to the Lord. It opens your will up to his, so that when you're praying, your will starts to match his. Sometimes I um, find myself praying. Sometimes the Lord just prompts me to fast. I do that intentionally, so he doesn't just prompt me to fast because I've woken up late and I haven't got time for breakfast and I go, oh, I'll fast today. Normally, it's, it's, a, it's a day or two in, in advance that he's, he's on my case, actually, Tim, it's about time you fasted. And, and particularly when I feel like the prompting comes from him, Often I might go into that time of fasting without much of an agenda, without much of a, oh, well, here's my shopping list for you today, Lord. Here's my, here's my prayer list of things that I'm asking for. Actually, I'm just, I'm just spending time with him, just seeking him for a while. And he's led me in these times where, where I've ended up interceding for stuff that I don't really know that much about at the time. But afterwards, I end up finding out, wow, God was really working at that time with that person. Sometimes I don't get to find out afterwards. And I get to just trust in him that he's building his kingdom, that his will is being done. Sometimes he leads me to pray for people while I'm fasting because actually just the op- it's very clear here is someone that you need to pray for right here and there and my and I'm often just a little bit more willing to 
My will is already, is already submitted to his. I'm less questioning about that. There's something about the being hungry. There's an act of humility in being hungry. It helps us remember, as the Bible says, that we're just dust or just a mist that's here today and here for a short while. We're utterly dependent on him. It helps us to remember this, that we're utterly dependent on him for every good and perfect gift that comes from him, including our food and our next breath. So we can be grateful for the now. We can be grateful for the blessings that he has given us right now. We can be grateful that he is sovereign, that he is in control. But every time I can't eat during the the day, every time I get a pang of hunger, it reminds me of the eternal God. It it reminds me of him. If it's a busy day, that pang of hunger might just result in a very quick and short prayer. Thank you, Lord. I pray for that person again. I love you, Lord. It It might be very short prayers, but... If you're fasting, actually you get these pangs of hunger quite frequently. It might just be a prompting to listen at that time. But actually, these small things over the course even of a day actually keep you very close to the Lord. Very close. They increase my contact with him. The hunger seems to do something else as well. It seems to amplify that conversation with God. I mean it like this, that not just in the way, in in what I say, but actually in, in hearing him, his voice seems to be louder. Appreciate, I'm just talking out of my experience here. We'll, We'll explain that a little bit more in just a moment, but his voice seems to be louder And also, my prayers seem to be a little bit more resonant. My physical hunger shows me, tells me what it's like to to be spiritually hungry. So as I request and as as I ask God for things, they take on a kind of urgency, like Esau when he's asking for that, um, asking for that soup. I need it now, please. That there's that urgency of, I just need this. Or, that, or the psalmist's declaration of thirst when he says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for you. I find it easier to pray when I'm fasting. I start and there's a rhythm that happens that turns into a momentum that just doesn't want to stop. I don't get so easily distracted. There's a there's a fantastic um, fictionalization of of um, of the devil and of spiritual warfare written by C.S. Lewis called called the Screwtape Letters and if you haven't read it they are they're very entertaining and very enlightening and they really get you to think and the Screwtape Letters are written from 
Let me be really clear. This is not theology. It's a fictionalization of, of some theological principles. It's written by... Um, they're written from the point of view of a, of a senior devil to a junior one. So they're written from Uncle Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood. And I was reading it and quite just astonished of, of, the, uh, of the relevance uh, that it had to our ordinary lives around eating and drinking. Let me, let me just read some of this to you. You don't realise how enslaved they are to the pressure of the ordinary. I once had a patient, so Screwtape had a person he was working on, a sound atheist who used to read in the British Museum. One day, as he sat reading, I saw a train of thought in his mind beginning to go the wrong way. The enemy, that's what Screwtape calls the Lord, of course, was at, the el- at his elbow in a moment. And before I knew where I was, I saw my 20 years' work beginning to totter. If I had lost my head and begun to att- attempt a defence by argument, I should have been undone. But I was not such a fool. I struck instantly at the part of the man which I had best under my control and suggested that it was just about time he had some lunch. The enemy, presumably, made the counter-suggestion, you know how one can never quite hear what he says to them, that this was more important than lunch. At least I think that must have been what he said to them. For uh, For when I said my line, quite, in fact, too important to tackle at the end of a morning, the patient brightened up considerably, and by the time I had added much better to come back after lunch and go into it with a fresh mind, he was already halfway to the door. Once he was in the street, the battle was won. I showed him a newsboy shouting the midday paper and number 73 bus going past, and before he reached the bottom of the steps, I had got into him an unalterable conviction that whatever odd ideas might come into a man's head while he's shut up alone with his books, a healthy dose of real life by which he meant a bus and the newsboy was, ve- was enough to show him that all that sort of thing just couldn't be true. That distraction of lunch was just enough to get this guy off of his uh, off of his track of thought, off of his thought where he was beginning to engage with eternal ideas and just out into real life. He was out being distracted. By, by the everyday. You know that kind of need for, for sleep that you get after a, after a big lunch? Yeah, that, that kind of... If you have one at work as well and, and you're struggling to keep your eyes open at two o'clock, oh, and... That happens as your body diverts energies and blood flow to the stomach and the digestive tract. And when Jenny was pregnant with Amelie, um, she learned that she had to 
just eat meals with her feet up because her blood pressure was quite low. She learnt this because sometimes when she would eat, um, as her body diverted blood flow to her stomach and digestive tract, she would faint face first into her meal, which wasn't funny. Um, uh, it wasn't funny, well, not the first time, anyway. Um, uh, and, and so she learned that she had to keep her feet up, but actually there was a very physical change that happened in her body as she began to eat. And processing food does take a long time. People that have written about fasting say that, say that actually fasting gives you, um, uh, helps to raise your mental and spiritual alertness as your body is not processing um, food. I, I experience that as sometimes God helps you to see the heart of an issue more clearly sometimes as, as you fast. Paul tells us in Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the here and now. It's against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And sometimes fasting just takes your eyes off of the here and now, off of the newsboy and the number 73 bus, off of the food in front of you, and expands your horizon to the eternal and the spiritual realms. And God will speak into speak to you and say, actually, this is the heart of the issue. This is what you need to be praying for right now. There are, in fact, this week, there have been a number of uh, times that fasting has come into to the news. There's been a few, uh, a, a few people talking about a, a diet where you fast for a few days or have reduced intake for a few days and, and then eat normally for another few. And that's, that's fine. Uh, I'm not here to, to uh, argue with that or dispute with that. Um, some people find it actually it's a very, very helpful way of, of losing weight. I want to be just really clear that when you fast spiritually, it is not a diet. Jesus was very, very concerned for, uh, for your heart. In, in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, don't do it like this, do it like this. When, when you give, don't do it like this, do it like this. When, when you fast, don't do it like this, but do it like this. Do, do, it so, do it so that no one sees. Actually, just do it so that your, your Father in heaven knows what's going on. So he's very concerned about what your heart is as, as, you, as you come to it. So let me, let me say around, this, uh, around the, the link between dieting and fasting. Dieting is not fasting, but it's not a surprise that God would call us to do something that is healthy for our spirit, and it's also healthy for our bodies too. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. But... Jesus was particularly clear on your motives in fasting are very, very important. And as we approach a week of prayer and fasting in, in two weeks' time, um, I, I want to just 
talk about maybe the practicalities of, of, of what that will look like for you and for us. So we're going for a week of prayer and fasting. It starts on a Monday and finishes on a Sunday. I'm talking about this in quite a bit of detail because I find that actually it's helpful to be intentional about, about, my, about fasting, okay? And, and how I'm going to in, engage with that. So I, I've already started to look at that week and go, actually, I, I know that's a busy day. That's, that's going to be uh, tough for me to, to do if I've been fasting for a few days up to that, okay? So, I, so I'm already starting to think about what would, be, what would I be able to cope with and how can I still do my job well um, without, without, succumb, without being too hungry and, and not able to function and maybe needing a bit of downtime or time, uh, time off. So how, how am I, I going to work that out? Some of you may be thinking, well, oh, fasting for a few days? Yeah, I could do a week. Well, that's great. If you, could, if you can go from the Monday to the Sunday with more time to, to pray, then that's, that's absolutely fantastic. I would expect that that won't be the majority of us. Um, but whether you feel like you can go for a week, and it is possible to, to do that, to go without food for, for that long, whether, whether you feel like you're going to go for a few days. I, personally, I know I can go for two days at work without it affecting my work. I, uh, you know, it still gives me time to pray, but it doesn't make me it doesn't make me slow or rubbish at work. I haven't done three days at work before, so you know if, I, if I'm going to do that, actually, that would be going into the weekend for me, or taking a day off specifically. It maybe you're thinking actually a few days. I haven't even fasted for a day before. Right? Maybe maybe it's worth trying for a day. Maybe it's worth trying, if you haven't even done a day, if you haven't done a day before, actually, maybe you're thinking, do you know, I could fast every lunchtime. I could take, I could not eat at lunchtimes and I could have time to pray then. Or I could get up early for the, for the early morning uh, prayer meeting and, and, and not eat, eat breakfast so that I'm there to, to pray and have more time for that. Maybe you're going to be more like uh, Daniel in one of his fasts, where he says, actually, I'm not, I'm not going to eat a particular kind of food. He, in, in Daniel 10, he, uh, there's an account of where he didn't eat uh, particular um, choice foods and wines and, and, and things like that so, uh, for, for three whole weeks. And so he went for a longer period of time, but just abstaining from certain foods. But I just want to—I want to challenge you that whatever whatever you feel has been your experience so far, actually, would you would you go a bit further this time? Would you would you actually say, okay? I'm prepared, I'm prepared to go on an adventure with you this time. I'm prepared to see where you would lead me in this this time, Lord. Let me, 
let me say a couple of things about, about the practicalities of fasting. If you have a medical condition that would actually be, it would be really sensible if you didn't fast, okay? particularly things like diabetes, where you need to maybe have a certain amount of intake of food, that, that, might, be, that might be quite important for you. Okay? If, if you've got particular eating disorders or that's, or that's been a very, something in your very recent history, again, maybe going for days without food isn't a great idea. Okay? Some of these things you can just talk about, a doctor, uh, talk about with the doctor and say, this is something I'm keen to do, but I, I need some advice on this. Give, give me some advice. If there are some kind of gut disorders that, that you have, that actually having food regularly is, is helpful, then, then please, don't, there's, no, there's no Jesus points up for offer here. You're not going to be saved. You're not gonna, you, it's not going to help in that sense. Actually, fasting is a choice. Fasting is um, something that you can do. Fasting is something that, where the Lord will lead you on to, to know him better. But, it's, but ultimately, it's a choice that you have. So if it's a gut disorder, you, as in you haven't got the, the guts to fast rather than you haven't got the guts to fast. Because if it's just that, have a go. Seriously. you will be surprised at where he will lead you. I, we're we're going to uh, finish. As, uh, we're going to finish now, but I, 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 we've had a lot of um, contributions this morning, uh, uh, things, things to pray for, and I've got a couple of things to add into that. So I wonder if uh, the band uh, would come up, or at least, yeah, yeah, the band would come up. That would be fantastic. Um, and we can have a little bit of music in the background as, as we um, uh, we're going to have a bit of time for prayer and ministry. Now, if you are a parent of a child in Frog Club, it would be really great if you could go and pick up your kids. You're welcome to uh, bring them back into the meeting as well. Do you want to stand to your feet? Jesus says in Revelation, stand at the door and knock. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. Even after his earthly life, even after his earthly ministry, Jesus is totally keen on still spending time with you, still sharing a meal with you. One of the, that's hard to do if physically he's not in the room, okay? But actually, I wonder if during this week of prayer and fasting, or maybe even before, you could say, actually, 
I'm going to spend this meal time with you, Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to give up food I'm, I'm, for this meal time. I'm going to give up this, uh, this here and now, and I'm going to focus on you and the eternal. And if you don't know him this morning, he is very keen to meet with you. Very keen to meet with you. So much so he died for you. So much so that he, he gave up his glory in heaven to walk this earth for you. So much so that, that he took on everything that you have ever done wrong and gave you uh, to give you everything that he has ever done right. So that you would, so that you could know him. He's very keen to know you. And if you know him already, he just loves sharing time with you. He really, really does. I wonder if, if, we, can, if we can pray. Adam, if you'd like to start playing a bit, please, mate. Lord, so often I get trapped in the here and now so often I'm bound to what is going on in front of my eyes and Lord I want to ask that you would help release me from that you would help help me see the eternal help me see that distant horizon help me see what is going on in spiritual realms. Help me understand the greater things. Help me understand the, the, the victory that you have won for me, Lord. If I'm um, there have been any things that, uh, that have particularly resounded with you this morning in terms of some of the, uh, the words that uh, Helen brought particularly and, and Kevin uh, and Lou as well, then, then please we'd love to pray with you here at the front. If, if, there's, um, if you don't know Jesus yet, and you would like to, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to tell you a little bit more about that. If, we, if you're thinking, actually, this fasting thing sounds like a good idea, but there's just no way, just no way, I'd love to pray with you about that. And if you're thinking, actually, Lord, I'm just stuck in the here and now, I want to know these greater things. I want to know these, these truths and these depths. Would you show yourself to me, Lord? Lord, please, show me your ways. Lead me in your ways eternal. Well, we would love to pray with you about that too. So we're going to sing one song. And as we do, if you'd like to come down the, the front and if there's anything else that you want in prayer for, we would just love to just spend a bit of time lifting you to
to the Lord, you know. So we'll, we'll sing, we'll share, we'll share this song together, we'll lift his name high. And as we do, if there's prayer that you want, then come and, come and join us here at the front. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.